Matthew chapter 7, page 1118, if you're using the Bible there under the seat in front of you. We'll be looking at verses 7 through 12 of Matthew chapter 7. It's a message that we've entitled Kingdom Power. Father, I pray your blessing upon this time of Bible study, and we do acknowledge how desperately we need your power to live the life that you've called us to live. We cannot do it on our own strength. We need you. So I pray that you would instruct us in such matters this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Those of you who have been with us in our study of the Sermon of the Mount, you know that it's a very convicting sermon. Jesus is describing the life that he wants us to live as his people. And the standards are very high. And I'm grateful that Jesus tells us his standards, and he does so shooting it straight telling us exactly what he expects, clearly, and he's direct. And in many ways, he's very simple in the life that he expects of us. I want to start in verse 12. Look at this simple verse. Another command from Jesus to us as his people. He says, therefore, whatever you want men to do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. Such a simple verse, such an important verse. Obviously, as Christians, we're supposed to do good to people, right? To all people. And you will find, if you study the Bible, all kinds of specific commandments to keep when treating other people well. In fact, the Pharisees and the scribes and the scholars, they analyzed the Old Testament law, and they found 613 specific commandments... 248 of which they labeled positive and 365 were negative. That's hundreds of of commandments, many of them having to do with how you treat other people. And then in the New Testament, we have all these other commandments. I don't know about you, but I don't have that good of a memory to remember hundreds of details. And Jesus says, you know what? You don't have to remember all those commandments. He says in verse 12, whatever you want men to do to you, do also for them. If you treat others the way you want to be treated, you would fulfill all the requirements of the law concerning the treatment of others. If you could just keep that mindset. In every situation in which you're dealing with people... All you have to do is use your imagination, put yourself in the other person's shoe, and ask, how would I like to be treated in that situation? And then act accordingly. Bishop Ryle said that would settle a hundred difficult points. It prevents the necessity of laying down endless little rules for our conduct in specific cases. Gang, if we just went at life like that, if this one verse 
were universally obeyed, it would transform all areas of international relationships, national politics, family life, church life, all of your personal relationships. Do to others as you would have them do to you. Now, you've heard that rule before. We know it as the golden rule. You've heard it that. Jesus was not the first to come up with this rule. Others came up with this rule. In fact, Pittacus, who lived between 650 and 570 B.C., is credited as the first one who came up with the golden rule. Here's how he put it. Do not that to thy neighbor that thou wouldst not suffer from him. Confucius also said, What you do not want others to do to you, do not do to others. Isocrates. Do not do to others what angers you if done to you by others. The great Rabbi Hillel. Do not do to others what you wouldn't want them doing to you. So the rule is not new, but Jesus, when he gave the rule, put a whole new spin on it. He's the first to put it in a positive light. Everyone else before him said, don't do to others what you don't want them doing to you. Jesus said, do to others. What you do want them doing to you. So Jesus pushed the golden rule beyond passive restraint to active benevolence. This is not love on defense. This is love on offense. Jesus said to his people, including us today, spend your whole life running around doing good to other people. Treating others the way you would want to be treated. Man, we are to have such a strong love in our hearts for other people. People are to be so important to us. In fact, the New Testament says in Philippians chapter 2, Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. Let each of you look out not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. You as a Christian are to prefer others even above yourself. That's the call. That's the command. Jesus also modeled that for us. In Mark chapter 10, verse 45, Jesus said his mission was, The Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. Think of this. The Son of God left heaven, came to earth to serve. To give his life as a ransom for many. And that's what he expects of us. He expects that type of selfless living. I heard about a young man who left his employer, a lumber merchant, and he began business in competition with him. 
For a while he prospered greatly and got many orders that would have gone to the firm that he had left. But just when his business seemed to be most flourishing, and he had more orders than he could supply, a huge fire in his yard destroyed all of his lumber. The day after the fire, he saw his old employer coming toward his office. He said later, I could have hated him, for I thought he was going to gloat over my misfortune. But he came to me as a friend in need and said, I know you've agreed to supply lumber to your customers by certain dates, and this unfortunate fire makes it impossible for you to do it. My lumber yard is at your disposal. You can have what you need and pay me at your own convenience. Your business may go on as usual. That is the embodiment of the golden rule. Treating others the way you would want them to treat you, even though they might treat you poorly. Now that's a simple command to understand. You guys get it? Pretty simple. Simple to do? Definitely not. It requires a strength beyond us. It requires power. And by the way, everything in the Sermon on the Mount that we have studied this far, it requires a power that's beyond us. And where does that power come from? Well, look back here at verse 7 in our text this morning. I think this is such an important passage in our whole sermon. Jesus says, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. Everyone who asks, receives. And he who seeks, finds. And to him who knocks, it will be opened. Where does power come from? Prayer like that. Prayer, asking, seeking, knocking. I believe that Jesus would say that the most important discipline in our lives as Christians is prayer. And I would say that because Jesus practiced prayer regularly. We read about that all over the Gospels. And now here is his famous sermon, the Sermon on the Mount. And this is the second time that he mentions prayer. In Matthew chapter 6, he says, We should regularly be men and women of prayer, not to be seen by men in public, but have a prayer closet that you go into regularly. And then in Matthew chapter 6, if you remember, he even gave us the model prayer. Here's how you should pray. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. The Lord's Prayer. And now here again, Jesus returns to the discipline of prayer. Prayer is so important. Here Jesus tells us that we should pray with passionate persistence. Consistency. The command, and this is a command. Jesus says, ask, seek, Knock, and there's progression in that. There's an ascending intensity in those words. 
Ask means to ask for a conscious need. The word suggests humility in asking. It's commonly used of one asking a superior for something. You ask humbly. The word seek involves asking, but adds to that action. So you admit a need, you ask for help, but then you actually seek out that help. And then to knock adds perseverance to the action and the asking. It's a closed door, but I'm knocking. Ask, seek, knock. Those words stacked together are extremely forceful. And you add to that the fact that this is in the present imperative in the Greek, which means this is supposed to be an activity that continues happening in your life. You could read it, the Lord's command to us. Keep on asking. Keep on seeking. And keep on knocking. That should describe your prayer life. Jesus is calling us to this ongoing, consistent dialogue and conversation with our Heavenly Father, an act of daily dependence upon Him, asking, seeking, knocking, asking, seeking, knocking. Does that describe your prayer life? You know, I think it does describe our prayer lives when we encounter trials. How many of you really start praying when you... Faces. You got somebody who's sick in your family. Do you pray hard? You ask, you seek, you knock. A financial issue? You ask, you seek, you knock. Facing something troubling or scary in life? You ask, you seek, you knock. That's great. But Jesus said this should describe your prayer life every day. In the good, the bad, the ugly... Every single life, every single day of your life, asking, seeking, knocking. Charles Spurgeon said, prayer pulls the rope below and the great bell rings above in the ears of God. Some scarcely stir the bell, for they pray so languidly. Others give but an occasional pluck at the rope. But he who wins with heaven is the man who grasps that rope boldly and pulls continuously with all his might. Ring, ring, ring. That's how we should pray. And that's the secret. It's the secret to power. In living the life that Jesus wants you to live. I pray that this passage would give you that desire to have a prayer life like this. Because look at the promise that we are given. Jesus says in verse 7, Ask and it will be given. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened. If you pray like that, you get. If you ask, you get. If you seek, you find. If you knock, the doors are open. 
And it's universal. It's guaranteed. For everyone, he says in verse 8, who asks, receive. Everyone who seeks, find. Everyone who knocks will be open. My brother and sister in Christ, this is a promise for you. Not for pastors, not for seminary students, not just for missionaries and evangelists. If you pray like Jesus is telling you to pray here, you get. You receive. You find. The doors are open. And Jesus even gives us a beautiful example to even more forcefully communicate this truth. He appeals to the parents in the audience. In verse 9, he says, Or what man is there among you who, if his son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will he give him a serpent? If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? So he says, Moms, Dads, What do you do with your kids when they ask for good things? Do you deny them? Dad, if your little boy asks for some bread, are you going to give him a rock? You know, in those days they ate real flat, round cakes. And they could look very similar to the flat, round cakes. Stones that you could find on the shores of the Sea of Galilee. But if, you're, if, you're, if your kid asks for bread, are you, are you going to give him a rock and say, hey, enjoy, break some teeth? The fish that they would eat back then looked like sardines, eel. If, if your son asks for fish, are you going to uh, give him a snake instead, a viper? And the answer, of course, is no. You're going to give them the fish. You're going to give them the bread. Mom, Dad, if your kids ask for something good, you give it to them, right? We even spoil our kids, don't we? And grandparents with grandchildren, forget about it, right? Jesus is arguing from lesser to greater. If human parents with fallen sinful natures know how to give good things to their children when they ask, how much more will your perfect, loving, gracious, heavenly Father give you good things when you ask? Think of an earthly father at his very best and multiply that by infinity. And there's your heavenly father. My brother and sister in Christ, you have a heavenly father who loves you. He cares about you. He knows about you. He wants to give you good things. Ask. Seek. Knock. In Jeremiah chapter 29, the Lord says, For I know the thoughts that I think towards you, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you a future and a hope. 
Then you will call upon me and go and pray to me and I'll listen to you and you'll seek me and find me. When you search for me with all your heart, when you search for God with all your heart, you find him. You find the good things. Now, please understand that this passage is not a blank check towards riches and wealth. Don't be thinking, here's my ticket. I want that mansion. I want that brand new car. Well, I'm going to keep asking and seeking and knocking. And I'm going to get it. Listen, God is not a heavenly slot machine where you keep pulling the lever waiting for the lotto. Sadly, many people think of God that way from this text. There, you know there's Christian teachers that teach from this text. Just ask and you're going to get claim whatever you want. There's many Christians that believe that. No, that's not it. Jesus said, if you ask, if you seek, you knock, you're going to get good things. Verse 11, your father who is in heaven will give good things to those who ask him. But what are the good things? And what are the good things in the context of this? You know, you can't just take one section of scripture and take it out and make it say whatever you mean it's been said a text without a context is a brief pretext for a faulty proof text what are the good things in the context of this passage well this is coming from the sermon on the mount and in the sermon on the mount is about character Kingdom living, spiritual fortitude and fruitfulness, strength. The Sermon on the Mount is about living a life that counts for God, being a witness. And those are the good things. If you ask, seek, And knock for these things. It will change you. Through prayer, we become people who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Through prayer, we become people with pure hearts. Through prayer, we become people who can rejoice when they're persecuted. Through prayer, we become true salt and light in our community. Through prayer, people can live to a much higher standard when it comes to anger, sexual purity, marriage, integrity. It is through prayer that we are empowered to love our enemies. It is through prayer that our worship is genuine and sincere. It is through prayer that we judge ourselves stronger than we judge other people like we studied last week. It is through prayer that you are empowered to treat other people the way you want to be treated. Those are the good things. This is the secret. 
You know, there are a lot of uh, moments in the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus, you know, he tells us to be merciful and to love our enemies and not have an unforgiving spirit towards people. And maybe you have that. Maybe there's a lot of us here that we hold grudges. And maybe you would even say to yourself, I don't know how to let that go. Ask, seek, knock, crying out to God to give you a forgiving spirit. He'll answer that question. He'll answer that. Maybe you lack courage to be salt and light, to be a witness in your office where you work in your school and you think, man, I just can't do it. I, I, I need to sit back. I need to hide. Hey, listen. Start asking and seeking and knocking for courage. Your heavenly father will give you that. You start crying out for character, God will give it to you. This is always yes. Can you imagine what the power of the church would be like? If we all kept asking, seeking, knocking on doors for spiritual power. Can you imagine what the church would look like? And the answer is always yes. Now, what about physical things? What about materialistic things? Does God care about those things? Are those things, can they be good? Absolutely. In the Model prayer, Jesus tells us to pray for our daily bread. Jesus says, if you will seek first my kingdom and righteousness, I will give you good things. I'll give, don't worry about material possessions. I'll take care of it. God does care about those things. But our emphasis should always be on spiritual health. You pray about those things and God takes care of everything else. Mom, dad. What if your child came to you and said, Mom, Dad, I want a nutritional meal tonight. I want spinach. And I want green beans. And I want meat and potatoes. I want to eat nutritional meals. What would you do? Sure. You'd give them all the green beans they want. And you know what else you'd probably do is to be a good dad? You'd throw in some dessert. You'd throw in some candy. Mom, dad, what if your child came up to you and said, Mom, dad, I teach me how to be a servant. I want to learn how to serve more. And I really want to learn how to get along with my brothers and sisters and more. Well, first you'd have to pick yourself up off the floor, right? Would you give him everything that you could give for that? You'd give it all. And you know what you'd probably also do? Throw in some toys. Some trips to Adventure Zone. You'd bless them. My brother and sister in Christ, come to your heavenly father and ask for these good things. Ask for that spiritual health. 
that spiritual power to live a life that pleases him. And he's going he's gonna to take care of those other things. And by the way, when you ask God for good things, please remember that he's the one who gets to define what is ultimately good for you. And the timing. He's your heavenly father. Chuck Smith, I I miss him so much. The founder of Calvary Chapel. But he used to say that when he was a young man, he fell in love with every, every girl that he dated. And he'd get on his knees, Lord, I want her to be my wife. Please give her to me. And it was years later after he met his sweet wife, Kay, that he was so thankful that God didn't answer those other prayers. It's timing. It's what God wants that's best for you. And be thankful for the closed doors. Be thankful when he says no to certain things. He's got your highest in mind. Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones said, I thank God that he is not prepared to do anything that I may chance to ask him. I am profoundly grateful to God that he did not grant me certain things for which I asked and that he shut certain doors right in my face. He said, I'm thankful for shut doors. Your heavenly father knows what's best for you. And I'll tell you what, what's best for you is to become a strong, spiritually powerful and fruitful person in the kingdom so that you use this life for his glory. And he'll give everything else. Trust him for it. And you know what the greatest reward is to prayer like this, where you're asking and you're seeking? You get to know God better. You get to know your Heavenly Father better. Your relationship with Him blossoms. I encourage you, give all of those things to your Lord, to your Heavenly Father. Make that time of prayer special and make it... Make it be an an ongoing dialogue with your Heavenly Father every day. There are three words that I absolutely hate. I despise these words. These three words will spoil a child's birthday. They'll ruin a family's Christmas morning. They'll create marital tension. They cause grown men to lose their temper and force late night trips to Walmart and waste gasoline. Terrible words. And you know what they are? Batteries not included. <laughs> Have you ever gotten a, a gift? It's a, it's a gadget. It's free. And you're so excited. And the kid opens it. And you didn't read this. But it says, batteries not included. And I'll never forget one Christmas morning doing that. And at 7 a.m., I'm, I'm looking all over El Paso for batteries. The Christian life is a supernatural life, and batteries are included. 
power is available for the taking. You have the Holy Spirit living inside of you. And if you will ask, seek, and knock, God will empower your life, use your life. So, Father, we thank you for this incredible promise this morning. Thank you, Lord. And I pray that our prayer lives would blossom. God, I thank you for your your grace and mercy and your desire to take our lives and do amazing things in and through them. Forgive us when we turn prayer simply into materialistic physical things. Lord, I pray that you make our prayer life stronger, better. Help us to see the priorities in life. Lord, I thank you for your great love towards us, your generosity. With your heads bowed and your eyes closed this morning, let me just ask, do you feel like someone without those batteries? Do you feel like you just don't have that power to live the life that God wants you to live? Maybe you've made lots of mistakes, many failures in your life, failures in relationships, and you're just like, I can't do it. I can't. Well, listen, my friend, we're all sinners. We all fall short of God's glory. But God in his love made it possible for us to be forgiven of our sins. He sent his son, Jesus, who died on the cross for our sins and rose again that third day. And he's alive. And if you place your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, all of your sins will be forgiven. You'll become a child in his family. The Holy Spirit will take up residence in your life. And you can and will be empowered to live that life that God wants you to live. So I would just ask you this morning, have you received him? If you haven't, I want to lead you in a prayer right now, just in the quietness of your heart. Make this your cry. Ask Jesus to save you. Say, Lord Jesus, I need power. I need your help. I need strength from you. Thank you for dying on the cross for my sins, for paying the price for all of my sins. And thank you for rising again that third day. And right now, I invite you to be my Lord and my Savior. Come into my heart. Come into my life. Fill me with your spirit.
Make me one of yours. And then help me to follow you and serve you. And serve others in your name. In Jesus' name, amen.